Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to the table. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of The Leadership Drip. Welcome back to the table, my friend Rob. It is springtime here at Lee University. Oh, it is springtime here. Like, and you know the signs of spring? It rains almost every day. Or it snows. It's right before it goes to 70 so we had like three yeah. inches of snow last week yeah last week this would release after that but yes it was crazy here almost like things that happen in new york city which our guest almost. lives in new york city pastor wayne francis is the lead pastor of the life church was the founding and uh, pastor of formerly authentic church and we'll talk about that in a little bit yep um and he's also a fellow podcaster he co-hosts a podcast called leadership in black and white with john siebling and just most recently authored a book with john called god and race Welcome to the table, Pastor Wayne. Hey, glad to be here, fellas. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, as a fellow podcaster, uh, how did you get involved, man? How did you like jump into the medium of podcasting? It's always a great question when we have other people who podcast. Like, how, how did you get started? Well, I think leaders generally want to get their body in less places and their voice in more. And so mm-hmm. as a podcaster, it's the ability to multiply your voice but keeping your physicality centralized to the region or place that you're called to. So that's really the primary thing. I'm always trying to figure out how do I get my voice in more places and my body in less? Yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. a good thought. There's a little bit of wisdom in there. Right there. Yeah, you write that down. Rob and I went to write a book and realized we didn't know anything. Yeah, that's how we. <laughs> so we thought we talked to smart people. Yeah. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. So, so a technical question. Now, you do it with John Siebling, who's in Memphis, correct? Yes. So, so do you guys, do you do it by Zoom, or how do you guys kind of record? We record by Zoom, obviously, because you're in New York City, but how? what's your format, just as a technical question for us? We actually uh, record in Memphis. So, I fly into Memphis once a month, and we record in person. Nice. I do have equipment and stuff here that we could do it, but I feel like our energy and our our vibe is like more in person. So we fly in. Uh, I fly in once a month. Nice. And, awesome. uh, we're there. Okay. Well, when we get really big, Rob, we'll fly Pastor Wayne into Cleveland. That's right. <laughs> when we get really so the big. vibe is better. So yeah. <laughs> so it's an interesting story though with you and Pastor John Siebling. Um, you have a podcast together. You've co-authored a book. And you've also sort of merged churches. Give us kind of the short version of how Authentic Church and the Life Church kind of became either sister churches or how does that work for you guys? Well, um, yeah, we started a church, my wife and I, and a small team of people that were dumb enough to come to New York for no pay to chisel something out. We were one of those parachute plants, more like a parachute splat of sorts. We just kind of came in and hit the ground running. And um, what was fascinating about that was that, you know, I have Jamaican descent. So I was working like nine jobs. My family thought I was still lazy because I only had nine jobs. We were just trying to make the thing go. And it started to take off and uh, we scaled. I ended up becoming full time um, on my church staff, my wife as well. We hired staff and it was great. But I was uh, speaking at this conference called ARC, ARC Conference in Birmingham, Alabama, at the Church of the Highlands. And um, afterwards, he came up to me along with his wife. Um, Pastor Leslie came up to me and they said, hey, that was great. Really gave me, you know, just great feedback about the message. And then um, I said, hey, I heard about you. 
And um, I heard about your staff and everything like that. I would love to come down and check it out. He was like, well, why don't you come down in three weeks? We're having a conference. I was like, okay. And so they actually flew me in just to come hang out with the staff. And I'll accelerate the story for the purpose of time. Um, I, we just hit it off. It was like yeah. what we call a divine flow. And he would be like, why don't you come back next month and let's just hang. And then uh, he would fly up to New York to like come speak at events or whatever. And it just felt like every other month we were hanging and texting back and forth. And we developed this really um, unique friendship. And that uh, led to me asking them to be our pastors because for a while I had no pastoral influence in my life. And then for about a year or two, we were just rocking like that, just collaborating on ideas. And one day he was in New York City. I was pitching an idea to him about that series um, that turned into our book. The series was called Black Fist, White Knuckles. And this was in 2019. I said, man, we should do a series on race. Like, let's lean in. This is before everything exploded um, in 2020 with uh, global, obviously, um, global outrage around um, racism. and he was like, man, we should be doing ministry together. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. But I'm not moving to Memphis, Tennessee. It felt like, look, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm not about that life, man. I'm, I'm from the Bronx, yo. <laughs> and um, I, I, so he was like, we should be working together. And he let it go because I was like, I don't want to move. Then um, a couple of months later, he texted me and said, I can't shake the feeling that God would love for us to work together. So what if you stay in New York and become a life church? Because he came and preached for us. And he was like, the only reason why your church isn't, you know, a couple thousand people is because you're in portable space. You need permanent space if you're going to yeah. scale it. And he's like, what if I buy you a building and get you permanent and you join my team and help us raise our apostolic influence and you preach there live and you just become like a, a location for us. And I still said no, because, <laughs> well, you know, we weren't flailing our arms. I had a staff, you know, it was, yeah. all of this stuff was going. I wasn't like, you know, I, I was, you know, throwing up the white flag. And um, my wife, interestingly enough, was the one that was like, I think you need to pay attention to what God might be doing here. Right. And normally I have to drag her to my like, you know, very impulsive, uh, you know, Enneagram mm -hmm. seven kind of out there kind of deal. And um, I had to ask myself a question. Could I lay down my logo and my ego to do something greater for God in a place where it's really tough to do that? Yeah. Number two, the question was on the second mountain of life as a 40 something year old, I would have gotten a building on my own, I'm pretty sure, but it probably would have taken like five or six more years. Did I want to get to the end of that to say, well, I did it by myself. Ha, right. Take that. Or did I really feel collaborative, divine connection? And the truth was, I felt divine connection to him. And I would miss him when we weren't together. And um, we decided in the fall, winter of 2019, to come under the Life Church family and become the first um, national location of the Life Church. Wow. Well, there's about two hours worth of leadership content in that little story alone. Yes. You know, I mean, it's uh, that, uh, it's it's a remarkable sort of story of of transition, of transformation, of collaboration, mm -hmm. of right. of reconciliation in all so many Asians. ways. I all mean, the all Asians. the Asians yeah. that you can throw out there. Right. They're they're included in that. I think, you know, for for a lot of our listeners, I think this conversation you're having about can I lay down my logo and my ego in order to pay attention to what God 
is doing. And so um, I, I think that's a that's a that's a critical question, not only in terms of your story, but I think in all of of pastoral ministry, especially all of life. Absolutely. Um, but especially in this role of pastoral ministry, where so much is built around our own platforms, our own kingdoms, our own name brand, etc. So how did you so my my um, my Lenten season sort of focus right now is motivational holiness. Right. So this fits right in that conversation. So how did you process um, that that? that journey of laying down your own logo and ego in order to quote, join someone else's work. Like, what was that like for you? Like dig a little deeper on that. Well, the, the feeling was, um, the, the, there was a lot of wrestling with insecurity because it was technically my baby, right? We called mm. it authentic church. I picked out the PMS color for my logo. I, you know, yeah. had a set yeah. of values. And although his church was aspirational, it was like what I was trying to get to. Right. There was a lot of nuance to the way we were designing church. And then there was a lot of implications, right? He's from the Mid-South. I'm from New York, right? People right. in New York are totally different. And I was very afraid that it was going to be like Saul's armor. Because I think in your 20s, you're 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 okay with wearing Saul's armor, but then when you turn 30, you you know you're you're throwing that off and you're figuring yourself out. And I had finally gotten to the place where I felt like I had figured some things out about the way I wanted to do ministry. Yeah. So I was concerned that it was going to be another placement of this kind of uh, you know thing that I had to live up to. And um, the second thing was. Uh, when you start a church and you scale a church, you have a lot of autonomy. So mm -hmm. I had I didn't have a boss technically mm -hmm. for 12 years. So now I have to deal with the you talk about uh, motivational holiness. You have to, I, I think it was like holy sandpaper, figuring out if we can rub against each other in a way that would allow both of us to become smoother or would I be the one that's getting the shaft? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I had to wrestle a lot of that down. And there were people that were attached to our style of church and what we were doing. And But surprisingly, um, most people don't care about the logo. <laughs> they only care about if you're staying. <laughs> they yeah. were, that, that was the big thing. When I yeah. told them, you know, announced it to our church, they were more concerned, like, are we going to be watching somebody else on the screen or are you going to yeah. be here? But I think that's an that's a great indicator too of not only your your um, your talent or your skill set, but I think it's also a great indicator of your leadership influence that your people are willing to say, "Hey, you're our shepherd. Like where you lead, we will follow, right? Because we trust you and we know you. And regardless if it's under our logo or another logo, we don't really care as long as you know." Uh, the word of God is being preached. You know, you're still kind of shepherding our, our team, our staff, our congregation. Like that's a great indicator of of healthy leadership realities, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think it plays into I think I don't know, it's it may be a Chinese proverb or some other kind of proverb. But it says if you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, run together. And I yeah. think what what you're saying, Pastor Wayne, is that that you recognize that you can go further faster with somebody. Yeah. So how did how did that relationship kind of expedite other than the building expedite the vision of what you had for what was authentic church and sort of that community you were in? Yeah, I think what it did was it provided um, a different level of stability 
um, we had great systems and structures and values and so on. But I think uh, the longevity of a church that was 25 years old in the Mid-South, resource rich, um, experience rich, brought a different type of stability to an area where there's a high level of transience, you know, pastoring in the Northeast, New York City, New York suburbs. And I think it really bolstered us to feel confidence that we're going to be able to get to the vision that we had in mind, which was permanence, right? Leaving the portable context. And I think it helped accelerate some of my personal dreams on what I wanted to do in terms of writing or podcasting and so on through our collaboration. And it gave me an outlet to express my creativity on a more global scale because you know, in terms of visuals and the things that I do for our church right now, in terms of series names and art direction and all of that type of stuff, it just accelerated things that were um, that were already in my mind. And I think it brought security to people in our area that felt like, wow, you know, there's there's somebody that's not leaving. Mm-hmm. There's somebody that's getting bicep deep in the soil of our of our community that's not going to leave because I mean. I've been here for over a decade and I've seen more resource rich church planners bounce, you know, and leave New York and whatnot. And I've been like, I'm not going anywhere. If I got to change my church name to stay here, if I've got to, if I've got to, I'm here to reach people that are far from God, but close to us and I'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. And I think that type of confidence bolsters people to get behind a vision. That's That's so awesome. Yeah. That's good stuff. Well, hey, uh, I mean, well, the leadership piece is awesome, but I definitely want to get to the book because uh, this is obviously a very um, delicate but important issue when it comes to walking out our faith biblically. Like, how do we how do we connect? How do we love? How do we respect? How do we work together as people of different races, cultures, ethnicities, backgrounds, et cetera? And And I think it's bigger than just race, but race is sort of the the melatonin deep sort of. Uh, starting point mm-hmm. that we all pick, right? You know, right, right, right. You're, you're you're black, I'm white. There's the obvious difference. Where do we yeah. go from here? And and I think, I think when you wrote this book, uh, God and Race, and and um, and you guys work together on this. I mean, I think this is a critical conversation uh, for the church. And so, kind of talk us through uh, how the book came about. I mean, you've already told a little bit of the story, but but what was really the the important sort of emphasis behind writing it um yeah it started off with uh pastor john and i walking around new york city and i pitched this idea of doing a series called black fist white knuckles on race because we were both leading diverse churches and one of my uh, attractions to him was that he obviously raised the diverse church in the hotbed of the civil rights movement, Memphis, Tennessee, where Dr. King was assassinated, all that stuff, right. and had a diverse church. And I, as a black man, was leading a very diverse church. At first, when we planted our church many years ago, it was about 70% white, 30%, you know, breaking down African-American, Asian, and so on. Right now, it's more like... 40, 70, 45 white. And then it's really half down the middle. It's very interesting post-pandemic demography, but we can talk about that later. And so the idea was, let's do this because we really believe in diversity. And we were like, hey, let's just do a series that, and he was like, why don't we make it even bigger? I was 
thinking it was like going to be a teaching series. He's like, hey, let's fly a team up here. Let's record at where, um, you know, Eric Garner was choked out. Let's go to the mm. Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. Let's say, mm. And it became a three part series that we did just for our church. That, that yeah. was it. And we we put it up on YouTube and some um, uh, some people saw it and were like, this needs to be a book. And we had a literary agent that worked with us, um, the Fed agency, great people. And we had to pull it down because there were several around February, March. Remember, everything blew up. That series debuted. Um, we recorded it in November of 2019. We put it out the first week of February. And obviously, by the end of February, the world was exploding with the death of Ahmad Arbery. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. So they, they, some publishers, these, you know, book companies were like, hey, can you, can you think about writing this as a book? So that's the way it started as a series. The publishers approached us and asked us if we'd write it. And um, we had a passion for it. So we sat down and wrote the book in the beginning of March of 2020. <laughs> so I think, you know, I said this a, a couple of weeks ago, and I think the, the, the most wasted asset of the church in America is, is, is our unity. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of going through this this morning in my own sort of study time. I'm working through the prayers of Jesus and, uh, John 17 obviously is a famous prayer that he prays, but the thought occurred to me this morning, why would Jesus ever pray something that he didn't actually believe could happen or should or ought to happen? So when he prays for unity of believers in John 17, this wasn't some kind of flippant prayers like, man, I hope this works out. <laughs> I mean, this is the Messiah we're talking about. This is, this is the savior, right? So he's actually praying from a divine perspective, the very thing that he believes and know knows that can't exist and that is unity in the body of Christ. Right. So, so I'm kind of working through that process this morning. And then, and I think this wasted asset that we have of unity is, is bigger than just racism. It's bigger than just my color or your color. So from your perspective and what you've kind of have found and what you've kind of discovered in this journey of your own, what are those deeper unity issues that the church is not willing to address that we need to be paying attention to so that we can be a unified body. So what that the world would know he is real. Mm -hmm. I think the church chooses popularity over prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, often, um, we we um, like to assimilate and get the affirmation of the onlooking world and the culture instead of having a prophetic kind of edge and responsibility that calls us back to unity. It's sort of like we're no different than you know the ancient Jewish people that kind of just wanted role reversal, right? Like, hey, let's stick it to the Roman oppression that we're facing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're just the same way. We're kind of like. And I think that's why there's been an addiction to like political identity um, above Christian identity. Yeah. So uh, the first thing that comes to mind is the popularity piece versus the prophetic edge, which requires us to be unified for us to have this kind of thing that um, makes us um, different to an onlooking world. It's sort of like we just compromise that a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I, and you know, and sorry, I'm, I'm kind of, this is in, his wheelhouse. Is he my, loves this conversation. So, <laughs> but no, I, I think, let's, let's, so I think, I think too, 
we all we, it's so easy for us to use biblical principles to excuse inaction. So so if we don't actually believe that the prayer of John 17 can work, that there actually can be a unified church across aisles, across races, across denominations, and I'm not anti-denominational. That's not my point here. I think there's a, a broader global unified voice that we need mm-hmm. to be pursuing. Yeah. But the point is, if we don't believe that that actually can happen, then why are we going to sink resources, energy, time, talent, values, vision into trying to achieve something we don't think can actually can exist. We call that bad stewardship, right? There's the biblical principle. So I think inverting our mentality and our passions towards the things that Jesus prayed that actually can exist is, is something that we need to start from a foundational level within our local congregations. Agree or I mean, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I love your take on the Messiah praying things that he obviously knew were possible. Um, in fact, he seems to barrel down on it because at three times in John 17, right. he seems to be for that unity thing. It's like, no, this is a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. I think um, to your point, though, <clears throat> I feel like um, many Christians believe like diversity is something reserved for heaven and not a requirement on earth. And no, so good. they're kind of like escapism type of theology yes. where it's like, well, one day I'll get over there and it'll be great. But right now I'm just going to, so yeah, that's a big deal for me. Yeah. And I think a lot of times the church, we, we bless them, but we bless them over there. Like the, the other over there, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 they're yeah. doing a great thing over there, bless them, you know, but when they come to our house, you know, we're not willing to feed them and serve them and do all the things that bring the unity. So what have been some things that, that, Obviously, you and, and Pastor John both have diverse churches. Now you're merged together. What are some of the lessons for pastors who are listening going, I want to bring diversity to my church. I want to, I want to have a, a broader paintbrush of colors in our house. What are some of those just primary lessons that they can learn and kind of walk away with to begin that process? Um, I think, you know, first of all, you're going to have to deal with some pain. And so you can't be adverse to pain because um, yeah. it's going to. You, you're just not going to be able to impact everybody. The second thing is um, you're going to have to make some compromises to reach a wide swath of people. So, you know, you can have an aquarium mentality, which is good. We want to disciple people, but you also have to have this kind of real aggressive fisher mentality to make sure that people that are diverse, if you are in a, 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 a community that's diverse, because I don't always presume that, um, you know, people can have diverse churches if they in the hood or if you in like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Washabushki, Idaho. If there is yeah. <laughs> it's close to Waukegan. Like it's <laughs> that is diverse. Where, where Jeff is from is close I, to Waukegan. I met a guy who's planting there over the weekend. So, <laughs> but I think that you, you know, you, that that's the, the second piece, right? Like you're going to have to compromise. So for what I mean by that is I had to make some choices as a person of color that my church was going to reach a wide swath of people and white people, which means the style of music that we chose to lead mm-hmm. our church. That meant my style modifying my style of communication to be quite honest. You know, like I can be preaching with, so <laughs> my God, <laughs> but I know I'm an alienate. <laughs> 
right? They go get with the, the organ in G flat. So we're going to have to make some compromises to reach the widest swath of people. And I think that pastors need to do that. And it also needs to be reflected in our leadership. And I'm not just talking about the worship team. You're like, yeah, we got an Asian person on the worship team. We got a black drummer and so on and so forth, especially people of color are suspicious of only being involved in, and forgive me for using this word, but and I know you guys will get it, but in entertainment style environments, so mm-hmm. black people are always singing, black people are always doing music. So if the only place that we're represented in your church is like in the music piece, that's going to be tough. And you have to have stratification in your church where people are seen at all levels, all levels. And that's because, I, you know, and, and I, I think you'll agree with this. I think that's because we think the platform validates purpose, right? So yeah. just, be, just because we have someone of color or from a different ethnic background or whatever on the stage doesn't necessarily mean that that is your value because your value, your value trickulates down through the entire organization. So you, you have, you have people of color or, or different ethnicities or different cultures at every level of your organization from, from the, from the base volunteer all the way up through the highest level leadership and accountability, right? So it's, it's, it's not just the platforming. Okay. That, that sort of, that creates the image of the value, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the value. Right. So, so I think I would push on, on that. We talked to Dr. James Emery White, if you're familiar yeah. with Dr. White. Um, and he speaks a lot about this as well. I think platforming, when we talk platforming, we have to expand what platforming is. So not just right. platforming the arts like you talk about, but but as somebody of a different race or nationality taking your offering or leading in prayer or leading a, a ministry area, like we can celebrate and, and platform them in a multitude of areas yeah. to help increase sort of that, that idea of leadership and i wrote down that organ has to be in g flat if i'm going to be more diverse in my church hey, tell you something. <laughs> g have, flat is where it's at apparently I never preach as good as when i preach with a with a b3 behind me you b3, know what was saying? it in g flat i don't know if it was in g flags i don't know anything about music but my but my worship leader led worship on a hammond b3 in washington dc that's some good preaching back then I don't <laughs> but no. i think it's i think it's valid and i think our our um, sort of point of reference is young adults, Pastor Wayne. We love young adults. That's why we do it. And they they desire, I think, diversity more than any generation we're seeing. They are yeah. they are crossing color lines and crossing uh, nationalities more than because they live in a in a world that's it's broad. Like because of social right. media, because right. of digital platforms. So especially in this justice conversation. And the racial reconciliation conversation, I feel like young adults desire that. They want that. But I fear that they are not seeing it expressed in the church. And it's one of the reasons that they're disconnecting. So how can we better communicate or better facilitate sort of a conversation, especially the young adult and Gen Z generation, that this is important to us? Yeah, you know, the funny thing is the church is, has lagged in this conversation instead of leading. And um, I think that people that are young and young adults actually need to see when when things ain't turned up, you know, the, the hip hop culture is like, yo, it's up, right? When it's not up, are you still talking about diversity? Are you still championing it? it? Mm-hmm. So right now, there's no headlines, there's no hashtag movements and so on and so forth. I think that 20 somethings and young adults are looking around and saying, Oh, but you're quiet now. You're not about that life now when there's yeah. no 
nothing, uh, you know, to go march about. And they're going to call. And I guarantee you, maybe this is a prophetic moment right now. We're about another year away from a real uptick again in the racial tension because the world, we're getting ready for another election and there's some old demons that have not died. And in Mm. about a year, you're going to start seeing pastors starting to talk and try to get, and you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a generation of people that have watched during COVID and post-COVID silence again, quiet. And they're going to be like, you're a fraud. You're a hypocrite because you weren't really about that life when the cameras are off and when you didn't have to do the obligatory posts and all that stuff. Now's the time to be pressing in and talking about these issues before there's an uptick in any sort of drama. And um, the church, again, we're, we're quiet, quiet. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's the... Um it's one of the, the great risks um, and rewards of, of Gen Z, which is obviously what we're primarily focused on, young adults, is that they are just as centered and calls oriented. Mm-hmm. And they they yeah. tend to flow with the with the cyclical nature of those things as they occur. So when 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 something happens, you know, and another black teen is killed in the street somewhere, then it's then it's rampage, right? It's it's like yeah. we're all in, like let's this has got to stop. And so and when it's not, what you're talking about is sort of this lull in sort of the the social fabric, right? Um, then they kind of they kind of back out and relax. And I think this goes back to a conversation Jeff and I've had probably all. 80 some episodes or whatever we're at now yeah. on the show, this is actually a discipleship conversation because, because what we're talking about is in the interim or in the waiting season of between the, between the tragedies, why are we not developing? Why are we not right. discipling on issues of race and culture and ethnicity? And, and why, why are we not keeping these coals hot in our pews and in our altars and in our classrooms? Why are we not like helping young white kids and young black kids collaborate together to work together? Maybe not to write a book called uh, God and Race, but maybe to, to do other things like yeah. lead their own campuses or lead their own high schools. You know what I'm saying? Like, so this to me is, is another discipleship conversation and so for you what is that discipleship gap that you see that maybe we need to try to focus on a bridge that we need to cross as 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 a local church as believers yeah i think the key word that comes to mind is the intentionality of saying this is not about a program this is a discipleship issue so it needs to be integrated into the area that is the easiest to implement change, which is not rocking with the 50 and 60 year olds in your church. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. It is rocking with the next gen, Mm. the teenagers, the young adults, because they're more um, pliable and, and they're Mm. about that. They're in the, you know, diverse atmosphere. So I think that there has to be an intentionality. For instance, churches that work on a series calendar or something like that, you got to touch it outside of February. Uh, You know, it can't just be Black History Month and it has to encompass a whole lot more. I know that the tension in America, um, primarily around race, is fraught with the, you know, division between black and white people. But there's so much stuff happening with Asian people now and the Asian people feel secure. 
and so on. And churches are silent about it. It's like, I'm going to be talking about a woman that was assaulted by a black man this Sunday, an Asian woman, and saying, we got to pray about this. We have to mourn about this. We need to make sure that we're constantly talking about it. I think churches have a great opportunity to do something like a diversity group, um, leading a, div- you know, yeah. a diverse group of people together through a curriculum. Shout out God and Race Study Guide if you want to do something <laughs> if you need. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I'll let your boy GodandRace.com if you need some curriculum. Um <laughs> <laughs> but leading a diversity group where people can actually have these conversations out in a safe, life-giving atmosphere and it can populate into other conversations in your church culture. So it's small, intentional things that you can do uh, and that you can point your church to as well. Yeah. So, you know, if, you, if you're a pastor, you have total moral authority to say, well, you know what? We are dealing with the race issue. It might not be at the scale that you think, but there's about eight people that are meeting every Wednesday night and they're talking about yeah. what it looks like to be a church that is reflecting heaven. That's huge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. we got to, we got to get over the fear of being afraid to mess up because we're going to mess up. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I'm going, I'm going to say something that is probably at least at a minimum scale, not necessarily entirely appropriate, right? I'm going to, I'm going to use a term or I'm going to use a a conversation phrase or a story where you say, Hey, yo, hold up. That's not how I perceive that story or that phrase, you know? So, I mean, I think, I think we got to get over this fear of being, of of making mistakes because we're going to make mistakes, but that's really genuinely the only way that we can tackle this sinful beast of racism Yes. In our culture is to actually is it to actually come together and say, hey, I don't know everything, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to try. And that in of itself is is a massive push yeah. forward. I believe it was the great T.D. Jakes who said it. I don't know who else said it, but I remember him saying it that in the pressing gets revealed what's inside of you. I think yeah. it was in a book yes. about grapes he wrote or something along those lines. So if, if Pastor Wayne, if you're right in the next year, we have another one of those pressings, one of those situations where the pressure hits on this conversation is going to reveal the work we've done now. Yeah. So yes. this discipleship conversation, this even in a leadership context and leadership conversation, it's one of the things that I would like to do better personally is invite other leaders of other nationalities, other races into my life to speak more to me. Um, so that I have a greater understanding of it. And I think as leaders, maybe that's a great beginning point for us is that we've got to gather at the table yeah. or by Zoom. How are we doing yeah, it? How are we going to do it? You know, with people who can speak into those situations in, in areas we don't know. Um, so so you have Pastor John Siebling, but who are maybe some of the voices of, of wider variety that are kind of you're gathering with to help you lead in this conversation? Um, Jimmy Rollins, who pastors, um, well, he, he doesn't technically pastor now, but he's uh, in West Palm. Uh, if Jimmy's listening, we've tried to get him on the show. Yeah, we did try to get Jimmy on the show. <laughs> uh, I, I'll try to hook y'all up. I'll, okay. I'll, drop a, I'll drop a little word right there. Um, Jimmy Rollins is somebody that um, I talk to a lot about these um, conversations. Um, Mike Burnett, who you've had, obviously has a heart for um, diversity. Um, Grant Skeldon, who is um, amazingly connected to young adults and generational leaders, I think has a, a peculiar and beautiful voice on the diversity piece um, and, and having conversations around this. Those three are the first that come to mind that I'm having outside of 
you know, Pastor John, that I'm having at least um, some good conversations with. So, so let's let's clarify. So, those that don't know, we've had Grant on the show. Grant is of Hispanic origin. Yeah. Um, Mike Burnett, who's been on the show, is is a Caucasian white male, and Jimmy Rollins is an African American male. So, yeah. so Pastor Pastor Wayne is saying he's got people of others in his conversation yeah. that are helping inform that. And um, I, again, that's one of the things that is a goal of mine to to get around the table with people who can speak into things that I'm not seeing. Because Rob and I obviously are we're white guys, so we come from a certain lens. We're in the South, we see a certain way, um, but we want to see wider and, and more diverse in, in how we lead. And so that's the importance I think, especially as leaders, getting around people who see where you don't see or see how you don't see. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, hey, I love- man. Go ahead. Go ahead, brother. No, no. I said, I just love that you're, you know, giving space on your podcast to even talk about this issue. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, it, Jeff said it, it's kind of been of a, a passion point for me and I don't have time to tell the stories why, but, but, uh, but yeah, even within my own personal family, there's, you know, refugees and uh, mixed race families and marriages and kids and, you know, I mean, all these things. And so, but, but the point is, I think, you know, this is an important conversation, not just because it's socially, politically, uh, sort of uh, an important conversation, but because I think it is at the end of the day, a Jesus conversation yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of the it's day, no matter how you cut it, it's a kingdom conversation. And so yes, we appreciate you being diligent and faithful and patient with us who are less aware or less educated or less concerned or less uh, open to having these mm-hmm. kinds of conversations. And so, bro, just keep up the good work. Keep up the good fight. We're in your corner, man. Yeah, we 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 we've enjoyed this. We do have one final question. We're gonna kind of wrap up here, uh, Wayne. That we ask, and I don't know your college background. I'm. Where'd you go to school at? Indiana Wesleyan. Ah, Indiana Wesleyan. Yes, I, I'm. It's okay. It's yeah. a good school. It's, it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, applied for a job there. Did you teach online? I heard from them. But we have one final question that we ask every one of our guests. We do record here on the lovely Lee University campus, which should bloom here anytime. Uh, but what is one lesson you have learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? A lesson that I learned in college that didn't take place in the classroom. Yeah. Wow, that's an interesting question. A lesson that I learned uh, that life moves at the speed of relationships. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Right. So expand on that. What life moves, was there a key relationship that kind of sparked that? I think all the relationships that I've had, I've learned that you're, you're only as good and effective in life. I think Jesus had an elevated theology of friendship. Yeah. that people undermine and I think that life and success in life is more about friendships and relationships than I would have thought in yeah. what the classroom made me feel like I would have had it yeah. really is so so Rob and I have told the story often on the show we actually met at Lee as undergraduate students yeah so and reconnected I don't know what 20 years later 18 years yeah, later yeah, by the time yeah. we got back so yeah we understand that context completely like all all my best friends are people from college I right think. pretty much so pretty yeah. much so Pastor Wayne it's been a joy um, blessings to you and all the New York City peeps I'm not mad about it I'm not mad because because you just re-signed the are you a Yankees or a Mets guy I'm a Yankees guy, man. Joe and Kim Girardi 
used to go to our church. There was a name drop and are still great <laughs> friends that he managed the Yankees for many, many yeah. years. And um, I couldn't be a Mets fan if I wanted to, even though I'm from the Bronx. I'm, the Bronx <laughs> I'm not upset, but I'm gonna let it go. You guys just re-signed my boy Anthony Rizzo today. So yeah. I'm a Cubs fan. So we traded yeah. him and then you re-signed him and I thought he was coming home and it didn't work out. So let's go. <laughs> let's see what let's see if we can stir some stuff up around here then. <laughs> We will let you get back to life in the big city. Yeah. We thank you for coming on the show. And as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, you've got a seat at the table. Thank you, bro. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channel. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.